You're listening to The Yoga Room with Mark Stevens, a place for exploring evocative and provocative ideas and conversations about yoga, life, myth, science, and making the world a better place for all. We live in what, for many, if not most people, are really stressful times with pressure and uncertainty in nearly every dimension of life. And while we might be doing things that try to change those underlying conditions give rise to stress in our lives, in our communities, around the planet, in any given moment, things can be pretty difficult. They can be pretty tough. My guest today is Shannon McQuaid, someone who I think relates to these difficulties with great insight that's tied to action in offering practices that allow people to be more calm amid stress. I met Shannon many years ago. She was a student in, in my classes. She completed a yoga teacher training with me in the summer of 2011. She taught yin yoga and other styles at my Santa Cruz yoga studio starting in 2015, I think it was. And well, already at that time, she had a very accomplished career in educational leadership. That's to say that at that time, I had a very strong inkling that was Shannon the best, the very best was, was yet to come. Shannon presently does trainings for Calm, the, the leading app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. And I look very much forward to conversing with her here about that in this episode. Uh, but I'll just note that before she got there, Shannon, whose father was a firefighter, she grew up in a fire family, Shannon created Fireflex in 2014, bringing yoga into fire stations to first responders, and also mindfulness practices to law enforcement officers. And now Fireflex well, trains over a thousand first responders every year. Quite amazing in my, thing, my, my sense of it. And Shannon has also published articles for the California State Firefighters Association, for Fire Rescue Magazine, and is the author of the book, The Conscious Warrior, Yoga for Firefighters and First Responders. Shannon is a certified functional movement trainer, has completed trauma-sensitive yoga training, has a master's degree in leadership in psychology, and she seems to be connecting all these dots in her current work with Calm as well as in, in her life. Shannon, welcome to the Yoga Room Podcast. I really appreciate you being here with me. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me, and what a beautiful introduction. I, I really loved hearing that, and uh, Think that really set us up for a lovely conversation. Well, it's it's simply a pretty straightforward description in my my sense, and and again, to be true to what I was saying there, I do think that we live in in very challenging times. I would imagine, and I have no experience with fires, by the way, but to live on a daily basis, not just with fire. This is say metaphorically the greater fires in one's lives that first responders respond to. My gosh, the stress there! Oh, well, I can only imagine. I just wonder, backing up quite a bit, you grew up in a fire family. Mm -hmm. I did, yes, in a different time for sure than the kind of firestorms that we're dealing with now. But yes, my father was a, a career firefighter. I often think also, and I've heard this also from friends who are who are first responders, who are firefighters, that the typical calls, the daily ritual of calls are less about fires burning somewhere than things like car crashes where people are seriously injured. And who shows up there first to interact with people who are in shock and perhaps, well, with serious, serious injuries? It's first responders. And to then be there and try to have a calming influence 
and then to carry on with your life. It's in some ways, well, it's beyond me how that's managed at an emotional, at an emotional level. Yeah. I, I mean, you bring up a really good point and I want to be honest, it's beyond me too. I mean, not being a first responder, I don't know what it's like to be in their shoes in those situations. I do know what it's like though to teach yoga to first responders after they come back from those situations. And that's really where I think yoga has a, an important role with first responders, not only is in preparation, but also in integration. And I, I actually did work with the Santa Cruz Fire Department for a number of years. And it's true what you say about the fact that, well, before 2021, I was I was in there before then, that a lot of the calls were um, car crashes, but they also were drug overdoses. And um, I don't know if I want to jump right into a story now. I'll take your your lead on that. But um, shall I jump Please. into a story? Oh, yeah, okay. I, I very much so. Because <laughs> my mind went there anyways, and I wasn't sure. Yes, what of course. Say. Let's go. Uh, yeah, so I was working with the Santa Cruz Fire Department, and I showed up one morning, like I always do, a trunk full of yoga mats and blocks and straps, and I walked into the fire station, and normally when I walked in, I'm greeted by some very happy firefighters looking forward to, you know, 60 minutes of just relaxation, integration, maybe a little cat nap in Shavasana, but this time I walked in, and uh, no one greeted me. And I actually walked into what felt like a cave. All the shades were drawn, the day room where they, you know, where there's typically what we call barca loungers and a television, all the shades were drawn. The room was very dark, just the glow of the television and all the firefighters were sitting on their chairs just, and when I showed up, it was almost like they were not expecting me and slowly the lounge, you know, the chairs, the room got set up for yoga class. But what I had learned is that after midnight, they went on multiple calls, but two of those calls were for the same person who overdosed. And that shocked me that, you know, that firefighters were responding, that the system was broken in such a way that within the same six hour period, they were responding to the same individual who had, who had OD'd. And the impact on them, not only were they fatigued, but psychologically, I felt like um, just the morale was really low. And um, so we went into class. I led, you know, a very gentle class. And at the end of the class, um, put the group into Shavasana a little earlier than I normally would because I could tell that they really just needed some rest. Um, and everybody fell asleep. And for maybe 10 minutes or so, I sat on my mat just listening to these group of firefighters resting and restoring and recovering. And honestly, I wanted to kind of tiptoe out of the room, but they were all on my mats, blocks and straps. So, you know, gently I coaxed them out of sleep. And, um, but that really stood out in my mind and the role that yoga has to play for, for these group of firefighters. Just, just that is an example of the integration. I wonder how that felt for you holding that space in that way with them in that, what you perceived to be that condition. You know, the work, that work was a calling for me. And so it felt very significant. I, 
was deeply touched that I could be here and hold space for them in that way. I couldn't imagine being anywhere else in the world in that moment than just right there, you know, praying that a call didn't come in because had a call come in in the middle of what I felt was just such necessary restoration, they'd be up and gone. And that's their work. No matter how tired, no matter how low, no matter how burnt out, a call comes in, you, you know, turnouts go on, the uh, in the truck and off off they go. I know there's a discussion in, uh, regarding, regarding law enforcement that ideally that in responding to certain types of calls, that there would be a, a mental health professional present. And so you might think of what someone is perceived as being mentally deranged, often a homeless person or someone else in a difficult circumstance. And rather than only law enforcement showing up, that there's someone else there with some well, expertise in, in human psychology or clinical psychologist or social worker or someone with some training with this. One wonders why there's not a resident psychologist at the firehouse or mm-hmm. you know, one that roves through each agency's jurisdiction providing services and perhaps being somewhat on call where because I'm thinking now, like you're saying, well, they could be suddenly called again at any moment. Yeah, I think I hear what you're saying. And I mean, wouldn't it be lovely? I mean, already most most first responder agencies are operating on a shoestring budget. I mean, it would be lovely if there was a resident psychologist. They all have access to EAP programs. And again, things are changing quite rapidly. But at the time, you know, what are EAP programs, please? Oh, they're EAP. employee assistant programs. Thank you. So through through insurance, um, first responders have access to some kind of mental health, but oftentimes they're rated very low because of the fact that um, therapists or psychologists don't necessarily have to be trained to work with first responders, which is a very unique population to become a therapist on it, you know, for an EAP program. There's a fitness program that was started here in Santa Cruz, it's now global, um, called CrossFit. I'm glad they're doing that. But now I'm also thinking they need CrossFit and they need re- relax and restore yoga at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know that show when I showed up because, of course, when the household I grew in, grew up in, my father loved lifting heavy weights. It was way before CrossFit. Uh, and he wasn't that much into cardio workouts anyways, but he loved big muscles and he had a home gym. Then he had a gym at the firehouse and he also uh, was a member of 24 hour fitness. So he just loved, you know, building strength and, and he was a very tough dude as well. So when I went to station nine, coincidentally, that turned out to be his firehouse that he had retired from maybe 10 years before I showed up. I was prepared and I did deliver for about six classes of very tough vinyasa flow workouts, kind of stuff I learned from you, Mark, many years ago. And, um, you know, they were very kind and polite and professional because they're trained to be that way. And so they let me deliver this kind of class, you know, so 60 minutes of just nonstop sun salutations. I mean, we did stop for for various postures, but it was, I designed it to be a really tough workout because I figured if yoga was cloaked in a really kind of aggressive, tough workout, then they wouldn't reject it. And about the sixth class in of my very first 12 week pilot program, they just gently tapped me on my shoulder and said, what are you doing? You know, we thought 
we had a totally different notion of what you'd be doing for us. And I, I honestly didn't know what they were talking about. And they conveyed to me that, yeah, they thought I would be helping them rest. I would be helping them stretch. I would be helping them slow down. They said, we get a tough workout every day. You know, if it's not the job that's pounding our joints, like you said, pounding our body, we do it to ourselves. You know, we've got, you know, the heavy lifting, the cardio that they had CrossFit at that time. And of course, CrossFit is really popular among firefighters. So, yeah, so you are, you're spot on. And it, it, I didn't know that going in, but then it turned out that what I started doing was just complimenting all of the physical toll, psychological toll that first responders experience every day. I mean, I think also, like you said, it, it, it depends on the day, but I think, you know, there's an identity, for instance, of who I am as a firefighter and what kind of workouts that I need. And, and so it takes some time to just maybe educate on, there might be some other options for you, you know, like maybe you think you need, you know, more cardio, you know, you think you need to be sweating or you think you need your body to be, um, just anecdotally, I was working for a different department. This is not Hayward. So I just, and I'm not going to give a name to this department, but it was also a San Francisco Bay Area department. And the chief told me that firefighters at his department were of, of the mindset that if they did not get hurt during a workout, it wasn't a workout. No pain, so no gain. You, no pain, no gain. Yeah. It was just like you literally needed to get hurt or you weren't really doing a workout. You meet that group of people with yoga and you want to start to say like, oh, here's another way of meeting your body. Here's another way of treating your body. Here's another way of being really good at what you do. It's just a different approach, you know, and, and educate, there's, you know, if you want to be really good at responding day after day, how about pulling back instead of leaning in? And some people like that and some people won't. And where you're working with other teachers, you're training teachers to go into yeah. these settings. Yeah. How are you guiding them, sensitizing them to this dynamic, how to navigate it, how, how to listen, what to listen for, how to sort of fine tune what's offered. And, and, and I appreciate, by the way, this is all in the show notes with respect to people who, who want to learn more about this, read the book, The Conscious Warrior. <laughs> Um, check out the resources that are available that are also highlighted in the show notes at Shannon's website. But uh, we'll come back to that later. But it's just how do you how do you nurture that with them? It's a long story, and I it's a really great question. And I I think I'll start with a conversation I just had with a different fire department recently. Um, the person who was head of health and wellness there, he was asking me. Um, why don't your teachers ever leave the yoga mat? He's like, we really want hands-on adjustments. Uh, we really, our firefighters really need touch right now. Um, this is all kind of a post-pandemic talk. And I thought to myself, wow, had I started Fireflex Yoga after the pandemic, it might be different. But I started in 2014. At the time, there wasn't that much great research about the, the psychological impacts of being a firefighter. And I started to lean into some work that David Emerson did and his work in trauma-sensitive yoga and, um, and this indicator or this body sense called interoception. And I, I really started to use 
I, I was trying to find ways of how can we measure the difference that yoga is making for first responders, both physically, which is where the functional movement screen comes in, but also psychologically, whereas whereas this this interoceptive assessment came in. And David Emerson works with a type of trauma called developmental trauma, which is very different than post-traumatic stress, which we assume firefighters have. All that to say that I was really training teachers in a, in a trauma-sensitive yoga approach developed by Dave Emerson. And it, do you know his work, Mark? I do. Okay. And, and Elizabeth Hopper, they wrote the Trauma Sensitive Yoga book together for many years ago and spoken with yeah. him. And yes, very much familiar yeah. with his work. Yeah. So, but the truth is that we can't assume that firefighters experienced developmental trauma before they became a first responder. We can only assume that they are suffering from PTSD until more research is out there and take, and tells us, you know, to what degree our first responders, our firefighters, you know, suffering post, post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress injury and what kind of yoga will be the best for them. So, so to be safe, to be safe, teachers were primarily staying on their mats. They were also not doing a lot of hands-on adjustments because the, the, fire, the firefighting world is about 96% male and almost everyone on my staff is female. And for all kinds of reasons that you can talk about, Mark, you know, it just makes a lot of sense when you show up, maybe, to be a bit more conservative about putting your hands on, on someone else until sort of trust develops and there's clear understanding of why we're there to teach yoga and what we're there about. And, um, and so I'm rethinking. I'm just telling you this because I'm just like rethinking, like what if, is it true that we need to stay away from hands-on adjustments? Probably not. I know personally when I was in the firehouses before the pandemic, before all of our work shut down, and I was working with a group of firefighters over time, they loved hands-on hands -on adjustments, and I loved giving it because it gives someone a sense of where their body is in space. And, when, and you know, you have a whole book on adjustments. <laughs> you know, when you can start to help someone feel a posture in their body in a way that works really well for them, something clicks organically and it feels really good. And, you know, at the end of the day, as yoga teachers, I, I feel my goal anyways is to inspire someone to show up the next time, you know, come to the yoga mat the next time because you had a really good experience. And so I'm thinking now, like, what is going to give firefighters a really good experience? And, um, and so we're working that out right now, right now. I, I, the, the longer I, I teach, the more I uh, commit to a role of, I think of myself as more of a guide, mm -hmm. uh, uh, one who holds a space in a certain way um, with some suggestions along the way for mm -hmm. how my students might best learn to tune in mm -hmm. inside. Um, mm -hmm. Using our various interoceptive faculties to to sense what's happening, our, the breath, yeah how we're feeling in our heart, the sensations we're feeling through all of our tissues and to use that insight for, for our ideas, for suggestions about what to do and how to do it. And I think also there can be a lot of benefit to an, an inform, relatively informed guide facilitator there. And that being informed isn't just knowing this as a functional anatomy and biomechanics, but 
perhaps also more importantly, having some clue about human beings, human nature, mm -hmm. emotion, sensitivity, trauma, a variety of emo range of uh, the full range of emotions for that matter, even let's say elation, <laughs> how to relate to it in a yoga practice and yeah. all. So, uh, and, and I think it also that touch can be a valuable tool. It can also be a problematic aspect of teaching for a variety mm -hmm. of reasons. Well, first and foremost, where it's just simply inappropriate, then that's, that's, we can go into that, but that sort of, I almost to say almost goes without saying, except that it doesn't go without saying, it needs to be said, the inappropriate touch is harmful in a variety of yeah. ways. Um, yeah. Then sort of, and, and so I very much yeah. appreciate the um, emphasis that, that, um, that David Emerson and Elizabeth Hopper gave in, in their work, early work at least, on trauma-sensitive yoga about how touch can be problematic because in many conditions of trauma mm -hmm. and other conditions in life that are not only traumatic, but in other conditions, touch can be a trigger for things that are not, let's just say, healthy and good in that moment. Um, and touch can be profoundly beneficial depends on the nature of the touch. Uh, Tiffany Fields has a, a touch lab. She's a, she's a clinical psychologist. She's a psychological researcher, has written a book, several books, but one entitled Touch. Um, uh, she's in touch with touch, let's say, and others as well, certainly. Touch can have a therapeutic role. In Phoenix Rising Yoga a generation and a half ago, uh, people were using touch in very sensitive ways, light, communic openly communicative ways, is a part of a healing experience uh, in that approach to yoga therapy. And at the same time, I think it can be problematic. Oh, just one more kind of point on that is a yeah. student of, of uh, David Emerson's, a fellow named Brendan Abram, uh, mm. came onto my radar screen some years ago here. Uh, and I've mentioned him in another podcast on a, uh, relating to something somewhat different. David, excuse me, Brendan was a Canadian peacekeeper. Ended up, he ended up in Bosnia. He ended up being quite traumatized by it. And I'm not revealing anything personal or private about him that he hasn't revealed in the preface to his book that I'll mention in a moment. Brendan um, goes down pretty, pretty, pretty far, pretty far down, let's say, as in like, you know, uh, self-destructive behaviors and alcohol and drug abuse and uh, eventually comes out uh, yoga as a part of his healing path, his healing journey along the way he encounters David Emerson and trauma-sensitive yoga. Through his experiences and his, particularly his personal experiences with chronic PTSD, CPTSD, mm. chronic post-traumatic stress disorder, he fashions a somewhat different approach in his book titled Teaching Trauma-Sensitive Yoga very much gets, gets at that. I will suggest mm. that's uh, came out a few years ago, Teaching Trauma-Sensitive Yoga, a practical guide, um, a really insightful book. How we hold a space, including say in a fire station, uh, and, I, and I do want to segue on some other things with you besides just fire flex, let's yeah. say, yeah. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but how one holds that space and, say a sense of how one teaches or guides or facilitates interoception or let's put differently, self-awareness, self-awareness, yeah. uh, yeah. self-understanding, self self-acceptance, self-love. Yeah. Uh, how one does these things is what I find most intriguing. 
And I would just love to hear your, your, your further thoughts on that. Well, I love the way you flesh that out. And I, I do really think when I think about the role of yoga for first responders and for all of us, myself, for sure, this is true. It is that self-awareness piece. And for me as a teacher, and I'm not often in the firehouses with um, other Fireflix yoga instructors, for, but for me, it is a lot. I hold a lot of space for people to um, figure out what's going on for them at that moment and what they need. and. Um, and I, I, I think that's really important. I, I, you know, I was trained, I was trained in your method for sure. And I studied with other teachers, especially when I saw, you know, because once again, was very naive when I showed up in 2014 to a, into a fire station, I had no idea the work that firefighters do. I had no idea of the, you know, the, the horrors, all the, all the death, all the trauma. My dad really didn't mention it. He just didn't, he was of the generation that what happened in the firehouse stayed in the, in the firehouse. And I think that's really slowed down firefighters getting the kind of therapeutic support they need is that the culture of, you know, we just, we keep it close to the vest. We only talk to the, our fellow, you know, firefighters. That's changing more, but anyways, I digress. Um, I love this idea of using yoga as a modality, introducing yoga as a modality for people to understand their breath, understand how their body's moving. You know, what kept me going in the work because it was not easy to bring yoga into the firehouses, you know, to actually create a program that expanded way beyond the San Jose department. We were, you know, in about 23 different fire departments at one time or another, um, but what kept me going was the self-awareness, the aha moments that were coming from firefighters, not realizing, even after a single class, how much stress they were holding. You know, uh, yeah, I think that was probably, you know, sort of the first, sort of the first level awareness was, well, first of all, pain, all the pain that they had been overriding for a really long time, um, getting a really good light, night's sleep, what that felt like in their body. And then also just this, you know, by me sort of taking, like just saying, hey, I got this now. You do not have to take care of me. You know, I'm, I'm going to be taking care of myself and I'm going to be taking care of this space. So you can really just lay down your armor. I got it. And that's really important, I think, for yoga teachers coming into the space is like, you don't have to take care of me. Right. And I know that's your job. So for the next 60 minutes, I'm going to hold the space. You just like till the soil, like just, you know, feel into your breath, feel into your muscles, feel the support underneath your body. And some, some firefighters can do that. Some actually can't for, for several, several classes in, but it was those, that awareness that, that arose from, from the classes is, um, it's, I can't even find, it's really, it was really inspiring. It was really motivating. I think that's what, uh, kept all of us in the work for many, many years going into the firehouse. And, and one thing that we don't have to touch on now, but I think, you know, as a person who had a very beautiful yoga studio, that when you just kind of entered into your studio, you were almost transported into a totally different space. You could sort of feel the stress leaving your body. You're coming into a space where people are sort of speaking in hushed tones you know, everything about this space really allows you to lay down your armor. 
you're going into a fire. When I was teaching fireplex yoga, I'm in a firehouse. I mean, there's beeps and buzzers. I mean, any time an alarm can go off, people who are who were into yoga, firefighters who were like, nope, this is not this is not my jam. I'm not going to do yoga. You know, would go into the next room, play r- loud music, bang heavy weights, start the laundry. You know, they would start washing their turnouts like right there in the apparatus space. So there was a lot more going on that really made holding space super important, but also made it challenging. Ah. And and for first responders, I mean, they're so ingrained to be a certain way. You know, again, I can't speak to all their training, but definitely professional, calm, cool, in control, experienced, you know, just like they got it no matter how they feel inside. So yeah, this, you just, thank you for that. You made me really think about just another really crucial um, opportunity for yoga for first responders is to be able to experience themselves in a different way. I'm fascinated by calm. I'd love to hear, learn more about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, calm is a great, it's a fantastic app. And I mean, I think people can get, um, you know, a free t- trial 14 days by going to calm.com. I'm not sure how much I'll dive into the calm, the business, um, but I can, um, I can't say I was, I was reading Stephen Cope's book recently about your life's greatest work or your life's work. And he was talking a lot about Dharma, right. And your calling. And in his book, um, you know, he features individuals who had one calling for their entire life, you know, whether it be Walt Whitman or Susan B. Anthony or Gandhi, and maybe, maybe they didn't have one calling, but you know, the, the chapter really focused in on a single calling. And that's just not true for me in a way. I feel like, you know, I know when a particular calling or mission is complete. And when I look at my life's careers, I can see the connection, you know, between um, what I was doing and my core values. Um, But I think we talked shortly after the pandemic happened, you know, I think we were talking, I don't know, within those first few months of 20, after March of 2020. And really, within a couple of days of, um, within a couple of days, all the work that I spoke about earlier to you was shut down because all fire departments were shut down. And at that time, all of our work was in person, which made perfect sense because of the type of people that first responders are, you know, they are very kinesthetically sort of attuned and, you know, doing virtual stuff turned out just didn't work for them. So we were very much hands-on and in person and um, it all was over in about three days. I of course had the opportunity to rebuild, like that was an option for me, but I knew inside myself that that like roughly seven year journey was complete. And I had no idea what was next for me. I was working on the book, so I knew I was going to still do the book. And I, I'm still doing trainings in first responder organizations. But that part of my work where I had a huge teaching staff and we were delivering lots of classes every day to organizations all over the Bay Area, that part I knew was going to be complete because it just it took so much for me to go. The thing about fire departments and first responders responder departments in general is that 
each one of them are like their own little kingdom. So even if you're doing really great work in a neighboring department, you still need to go to the next door neighboring department, sit down with the chief, explain why this is going to re be really important for their group, then do a trial program because the chief's not convinced. Well, even if you're doing it in Redwood City, I don't know if it's going to work for us in South San Francisco. So let's do a trial program. Anyway, so I knew that um, I wasn't going to rebuild that, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I just kind of went into prayer, lots of meditation, just sort of kind of opening myself up to possibilities, trusting that something else would show up. And I ended up walking into the little uh, clothing store here in Incline Village. I live in a very small town. There's one clothing store. And a young woman there whom I know, because it's the one clothing store and I love to shop, um, she just was telling me all about this new job that she was super excited to get. She mentioned Calm. I didn't know what Calm was at that time. I downloaded the app. And then I started out as a behavioral health coach for Calm, which I loved doing. And I went on to, I'm working my way through a coaching certificate. And then about a year or so of doing this work, I ended up getting hired full-time to be on the facilitation and training team. And that's, that's my job now. And like you, Mark, I, I love it. It's a mission-driven company. And I am a person who likes to align with missions, like important missions, missions for well-being, for mental health you know, which is why I fell in love with yoga first for my own mental health and then went on beyond that. And that's what Calm is. It is a mission driven company. It's my first time being in working for a high tech firm and working in a corporate culture. And it is a glorious culture because of the fact that many, many people have this similar, um, this, these similar values of wanting to make a difference in the world of wanting to help of wanting to do good. And, um, so that's where I'm at now. I, I think I'm. this is my maybe fourth career and I'm loving it. I'm learning a ton. And like you, learning is a core value for me as is giving back, as is service, um, as is aliveness, you know, as of, as is feeling like what I am doing is really on purpose for me. And so all that's happening for my, me right now. And I'm, I'm very excited about it as, as I once was feeling the exact same way when I was doing my work with Fireflex Yoga. Yoga in a way and meditation, and I, I just started with meditation. You were my first asana teacher, but um, in a way has created a connection or a trust that when I get sort of an inner knowing, like I get an inner sense that this will be a good next step for me, I'll take it. I'll take it. And I've been doing this since I was maybe 24 years old and just was driving down Highway 5 with a boyfriend at the time and got this like gut sense that I needed to go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And at that time, I had I went and spent about six months in India. I was just looking for some sense of who I was. I just was wanting someone to tell me, like, who am I? Because anything that I was experiencing through college and through my family life and stuff just left me angry, confused. And, and I was just on this quest to try to clear up this confusion. And I ended up going to Albuquerque. I ended up 
finding meditation. I ended up living in all kinds of ashrams. I sort of fell into teaching, which was my next career. And my gut knowing at some point was like, you need to get out of teaching because it just wasn't a good fit for me. And, and I did. Um, the Fireflex, one of the things I've been able to do too, I'm, I'm kind of, this is a little bit of a stream of consciousness because it's such a great question. I have, <laughs> there's nothing rehearsed here, but um, I also know that when I want to make a shift in my, in my life, like there's something I want, but I can't see it. I will put myself in community, whether it's yoga community or a master's in spiritual psychology that, you know, ended up catapulting me to the next level of my career, my life or my self-understanding. Then I got a master's in transformative leadership that started Fireflex Yoga. Um, so it is, it's listening. I think I've just really sort of learned to listen. And I'm a person who trusts and sort of, you know, people come to their trust about life and the universe from different perspectives. I'm a person who trusts in the goodness of life and the universe. So I will be supported. I will, even if I fall, I will get back up. So, um, but the thing I'll say about the reason why calm has been such a lovely experience for me, and I, it is a beautiful culture, but also I knew that this, in this next iteration, iteration of my life, I really wanted to untether as much as possible, my self-identification, my self-worth, and my work in the world. Because with Fireflex Yoga, it was so entwined that in a lot of ways, um, it, it limited me from taking risks or really being myself. And when I came to Calm as a behavioral health coach, I was like, this is, I don't in a way have anything to lose. So why not just be myself? Why not just be who I am? And that I have to say has created a whole level of aliveness that I didn't experience before. I don't want to use the overused word authenticity, but that sounds like it's rather being genuinely who you feel yourself to be and not being without the fetters of, of these sort of expectations that hold us back and hold us down so often. Oh, by the way, I'm just curious if you, your trek to New, to Albuquerque, into that area, did you ever trek across the path of Tias and Surya Little? No, no. I know okay. who the teacher is, but yeah, no, yeah. no, I didn't, unfortunately. Both... No, I went all the way, I think I went all the way to, first I went to Hawaii, Albuquerque, Hawaii, Sacramento, and then, you know what, actually my first yoga class was when I was in L.A., uh, a studio off of La Brea, but but really I didn't fall in love with Asana until I met you when you were working at the Veterans Hall in Santa Cruz and offering yeah. classes, right? Yeah, so a prior lifetime, it would seem. Yeah. And by the yeah. way, I can never think of Albuquerque without thinking of a book of that title, not to go up on books again, but there's a wonderful novel, Albuquerque, by a, a Chicano uh, author of Rudolfo Anaya, and it's just a beautiful, magical, realist story of, well, of finding destiny, finding purpose, mm. rather, and destiny mm. in place. Uh, it's, it's, it's a terrific novel, those interested in magical realism and, mm. and, and finding one's path and all. Yeah. We often, I think so many of us feel tethered to this or that. And sometimes we don't know just what the tethers are. Uh, 
Mm. We can't see them. We feel tethered, but we can't see what those tethers are that hold us back, that hold us in certain kinds of ways. Um, Mm. How we come to recognizing um, what we're, I don't want to say meant to do, but what we might most fruitfully do, what, how we might most manifest ourselves in the most magnificent ways. And I like to ask my students in these various workshops and all, why not do all that you can to consciously cultivate congruence and clarity in your life to live the most fulfilling life for yourself and for others? Like, why not live the most magnificent life of which you are capable? Why not? Give it all you can. Give me one good reason. I'm so with you. I think I'm so with you. And I think that's my dharma in a lot of ways is that just awakening through experience. I had a teacher once say, once say, like, it doesn't matter what work you do as long as the work is waking you up, whatever that kind of cliche means. But it's powerful because it lets you off the hook. You know, I mean, it's just like, are you having fun? Are you are you experiencing your magnificence? Are you loving the impact that you're having? You know, and if not, why not? I love that. But I also know that where I'm at now at 51, I don't know that I, you know, this was, this has been a 30 year journey, Mark. And I don't know what it's been for you. Like you said, you keep learning and iterating and who you were when I met you is a different lifetime. And that's, you know, that's, the yoga path what, and why I love it so much is because it is dynamic. It is alive. It, it allows you to um, shed old skin Indeed. And, and incarnate in new skin and, um, and try it out and try it on and see what, see what kind of feedback you're getting. I, I don't want to make light of how, how difficult it can be to change one's circumstances. To, to change things, yeah. change conditions yeah. in one's life. I have certain things going for me. I feel very, in some ways, lucky. I also feel cursed for some of the same things. Let's just say I'm I'm privileged in certain ways. I'm I'm a white male in a society that favors white males. There are many doors that, as I approach them, they open and I'm welcomed in before I've even knocked. And those doors are locked to some other people based on a variety of factors. And I can, yeah. I can very much appreciate that it's, you know, it might sound, oh, so easy. Just, you know, make your life better. Do all that you can. That said, I think that, that we can all do some things starting right now to make our lives better and to make the lives of others and of the world better, whatever that starting point might be. We all have our difficulties and our limitations. I have mine. Mm-hmm. You probably have yours. We all have the various oh, yes. things that, that are a part of, our, of who we are and how we are in the world. Uh, even people who are, say, phenomenally wealthy have their limitations mm-hmm. and sometimes have some of the greatest limitations, I'll suggest, especially at a level of empathy and capacity to feel others' needs and, and to be able to listen and all. I'm in awe of what you're doing um, and of your both your courage and your commitment mm. to step through and to step up uh, in ways that make life life better for others. Uh, and certainly you're, you've along the way, you've also been making life better for yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with that uh, at all. 
Um, that is, one is improving one's own life as one is also, wow, doing amazing things um, out there in the world. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll throw this out there because I think you just sort of invited it, like what's one thing someone could do? And I think one thing anyone listening to this podcast could do is to just really get clear on what's important to you. Like, and whatever, you know, really defining what is important to you and how do you start channeling more of your time and energy into that, regardless of, of where we're coming from? What do, you, what do you think about that, Mark? I'm completely with you. I think there are a variety of tools that we can offer to help someone do that. Like, for example, get out a piece of paper and write down a list. Um, yeah, for, right. So you can find some time to go for a walk, ideally by yourself, yeah. and whether it's on a city street or out in the forest or wherever it happens to be, Absolutely. go on a walk by yourself. Uh, and maybe also do it again with a friend. Uh, <laughs> have some conversations. Try to have conversations. I think conversations are powerful. That I, if we, they are actually conversations, they are. Yeah. There's a conversion yeah. that's occurring. There's a change that's occurring in those conversations. Try meditating. Yeah. Try doing some things that relate to your body in a healthy way. Whether it's what you eat. Uh, doing something like yoga, I will suggest, could be a very powerful way of getting some insight into how to care for oneself, how to care for one's awareness, one's mind, one's life. Is it something what's important to you might become altogether clearer when you're doing Thank these. You. Kind. We can offer some Thank tools. You. I yeah. think you're offering these kinds you of tools. You just did. Yeah. And there are, yeah, that's there great. are so many that we have, I think. I, I really appreciate your time and sharing with me. I appreciate you also have a full yeah. life. Um, oh. taking some time for this conversation. I very, very much thank you for this, Shannon. Yeah, I love to see you here, Mark. You were, I mean, I remember when I was a student, you would always carve out time to just go have a cup of coffee and uh, ask me, what's going on? How are you doing? What would you like to be doing? Where will you see yourself in five years? And just listen, just listen to me. And so I, when I heard that you were doing a podcast, I was thrilled because I know what a great listener you are. And, uh, and also you ask excellent questions. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Appreciate your work. Thank you, Mark. It's been a delight. Thank you for listening. Please see the show notes for links and resources from today's show, as well as links to our sponsors of this episode. If you're enjoying or learning from the Yoga Room Podcast, please tell your friends and others who might be interested. You can also subscribe to the show on your favorite listening platform so you never miss anything. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, please rate and review the show to support us in sharing healthy practices and engaging ideas from around the world. And again, thank you for joining us today.